Just before I bring a message, um, Cindy felt God give her a word. She's, she's going to share it now. Thank you, Cindy. I actually hesitated to come forward because I wasn't really sure. Um, but while I was at the back, God reminded me that in the week I was in hospital. And, um, yeah, it really fits with, with something of what I feel God has put on my heart as well, which is great. It's always lovely to see when, when God is, is working and, and confirming, which is lovely. It's been great as well to be able to celebrate the, the dedication of John Hadley together today, really special uh, time. And I don't know about you, but one of the things um, that I find really fascinating and, and I can think is, is really can be quite significant is the meaning of names. Um, and when Rosie and I have been, been choosing kind of names and things for, for each of our children, we've kind of seen it as almost choosing uh, something that we're going to be declaring over them prophetically. Um, and so as I was getting ready for today, I, um, I thought, oh, I'll have a quick look. I think I know what John means, but I'll just kind of double check what it, what it is and, and see if there's any meaning that I'm, I'm not aware about with the name of John. And so I, as you do, I kind of typed it into to, to Google, meaning of John. And if we can have it up on the screen, um, to my surprise, the result of the search wasn't what I was expecting. Um, the answer that Google gave me is this. John, a toilet. You have to walk across the stage to get to the John. So, I'm sorry, all you Johns. But, um, you thought you had, you had a good name with a great meaning. <laughs> now, now, for those of you who like grammar, hopefully you'll have spotted underneath it that it's not a capital letter for the J. And it's a noun, and it's informal. And actually, it did say that this was for North America um, rather than for, for here. So, um, so we don't have to worry too much. Um, and so uh, I, I knew it wasn't a proper noun, and so I, I kind of had a breathed a bit of a sigh of relief when I spotted that, and had a couple more clicks, um, and then found a meaning in front of me which was much closer to what it was that I was expecting, and it's a fantastic meaning. So you're probably relieved, Nick, to, to know um, that, that John does not mean toilets, but in fact the meaning of the name, um, if we can move on to the next one, is that the Lord is gracious. That's a beautiful meaning, isn't it? You know, one of the most incredible expressions of this in the Bible is in Exodus 34, where, where God passes in front of Moses and tells him his name, tells him his identity, tells him who he is, and God declares, my name is the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Now this is who God declares himself to be and it's beautiful and it's full of promise and it's full of hope. And yet if we're honest, I imagine we all have times when we feel less like God is gracious and more like life is going down the toilet. You know, there's times when we we look around the world and it looks like the world is going down the toilet. You know, we think that particularly this week with everything that's happened in Manchester, but it's been ongoing over years. You know, and in those times when, when life is hard, when we're aware of our mistakes and our failings, when we're facing disappointments, when we're seeing suffering and destruction around us, when we're simply worn down and tired by the relentless demands of life, it can be hard to see how God is gracious in that moment. As Cindy said, we can feel trapped. We can feel like there's no way out and that nothing is ever going to change. We can feel scared and and alone. We can feel like utter failures who just can't get it right. Who make a mess of things and just can't cope with what life is throwing at us. 
We can feel guilty about the, the bad choices that we've made. We can feel crushed by the people who've let us down and the disappointments that we've faced. We can feel angry that things haven't worked out the way that we thought they would and angry that things aren't going the way they should around us. And we can feel jealous as we look at the people around us in life who seem to have it all sorted when we don't. And it's hard when we feel like that to see where God is in the midst of it. And how is God gracious and abounding in love and faithfulness? So what do you do when you're in that kind of a moment? Where is God when you're in that kind of a moment? Now, one of the great things that that we discover as we look at the men and women in the Bible who who bring us the story of Jesus is that they face times like this too. That life wasn't always easy. That they went through some of the most difficult circumstances and yet somehow in the midst of it, they continued to believe and to put their faith in God. In fact, often what we seem to see is in the midst of the difficulties that they faced, they they didn't just not pull away from God or or feel kind of like, how can I trust him or all of those kind of things that we can do. But actually it seemed to push them into God. And it seemed to to be that that through it, that they found the depth of their relationship with him. And I think a big part of the reason for how they responded in the midst of difficult times was because they really got the fact that God is gracious. And how that one truth changes everything. Because you see, the grace of God invites us to be okay. It invites us to a place of being okay. Even though everything in life is not okay. You know, there is nothing like the grace of God. It is incredible and we could try to unpack God's grace and delve into the depths of God's grace for the rest of our lives. Now this morning though, I just want to look at two aspects of God's grace that I think can encourage us in those times in life when we just don't know what to do or how to move forwards and we're wondering where God is. You see, God's grace is God's power in action reaching out to you. Pursuing you and chasing you. And so God in his grace reaches into to the midst of your pain and your mess and your struggles and your weakness to meet you there. You know, we, we call this provenient grace. It's the grace that goes before. It's the grace of God taking the initiative to search us out and to meet us where we're at. And Jesus gets this idea of, of grace, uh, of the grace of God across and how it searches us out in Luke 15. And in Luke 15, we find some, some great stories in which Jesus is trying to get across something of the truth of the good news that he's, he's offering. And one of these stories that we, we kind of know is the parable um, of the lost coin. And, and Jesus says this in Luke 15, um, verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Now, who, who does the woman represent in the story? The woman represents God, doesn't she? And what is it that she's lost? 
she's lost a coin. And the coin represents us. And I want you to think about this for, for a moment. You know, Jesus is trying to convey the amazing good news that is on offer. He's trying to, con- you know, and when we do this, we talk about it, all that God offers to us with forgiveness and salvation and eternal life and his grace and all of these things we, we use to appeal to, to one another. And yet, as Jesus tells this story and he's trying to convey what it is that he's offering, he chooses to use a coin, an inanimate object, with no feelings to represent us. What's Jesus doing? Coins don't have needs. They don't feel hurt or pain or lost. They're not going to feel guilty and have this need that's got to be met. The coin's not going to be excited when it's found and rejoined with the other nine. Why has Jesus chosen to represent us with a coin that has no feelings? And I think what Jesus is doing here is he's wanting to teach us how to think beyond ourselves and our own needs and our own successes and failures and to think about God. And for us to realize God's heart in this whole process and where God is in the midst of it and how God is active. Jesus is trying to give us a glimpse of what is going on in God's heart at this moment. And so he goes on in verse 9 saying, And when she finds it, she she calls her friends and her neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me! I found my lost coin! And in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And if you stop and think about this for a moment, it's incredible. Because what you realize is that God's heart is so for you that he is searching you out in the midst of the struggles and the difficulties, in the midst of your weaknesses. And your salvation, your entering into relationship with him, your experience of freedom, your stepping into the life that he intended for you, every step that you take towards him is as big of a blessing to God as it is to you. Isn't that amazing? And I know Jesus is talking here primarily about the moment when someone first gives their life to God and they enter into his family and they're found in that kind of a sense. But I think it's an ongoing principle that God in his grace is reaching out to us and searching us out. And every time we take a step towards him, every time we put our trust in him and allow him to work healing in our lives and bring freedom to us, he throws a party and he rejoices And what I love in this is that God is not distant. He isn't watching over us like a a, a judge looking out for all the times that we mess up and that we fail. God is gracious. And he is proactively reaching out to us and searching us out in order to draw us to himself. And to meet our every need. And when you begin to grasp just how excited and joy-filled God is about you and having a relationship with you and seeing you set free and meeting your needs and strengthening you and comforting you and encouraging you so that you can experience life, whatever you're facing, as he intended it. 
I think this becomes such a great encouragement for whatever it is that we face. Simply to know that God is gracious, that he is excited about me, and he is searching me out wherever I'm at, and his heart is moved to be the help that I need. I don't know how many of you can remember it, but back in 2010, um, there was an accident in a Chilean mine. Um, as part of the mine collapsed, and, and a group of 33 miners, with minutes to spare, make it to a safe chamber where they've got oxygen and, and they've got food. They're trapped, but they're safe. And rescuers are, are on the way. Then after a couple of days of, of being trapped, they, they get a message. They manage to get a message down this, um, to, to them that the rescue isn't going to be a simple process. And in fact, it ends up taking months. They're trapped at the beginning of August and they're rescued towards the back end of October. And so you have this group of miners trapped a mile and a half underground, hanging on for dear life for months. The whole incident became big international news and the rescue of the miners was filmed live. Um, you can find it on YouTube and, and things if you want to look it up for yourself. But there's this amazing moment as they rescue the first miner. They, they drop the capsule all the way down. They've kind of used a, a, um, a, a borehole that you do for kind of getting water out in the end to, to get down. There. And they drop this capsule down it. Um, and then you, you see the, the, the cogs moving uh, as they start to lift the capsule up. And then uh, as the, the cogs begin to slow down because it's nearing the top, you kind of get this sense of anticipation growing. And then the camera zooms in on the capsule. And you can just about see the miner through the cage. And around the capsule are all these, these people who are helping with the rescue. And they start hugging one another. And they're stood in the midst is one other person. And it's the son of the miner who's about to be rescued. He's there with his hard hat on and he's got a coat and he's got this little balloon with a Chilean flag in his hand. And he's just waiting for this incredible moment. And as the capsule's lifted onto the surface and the door swings open and the miner locks eyes with his son, the boy just bursts into tears of joy and runs to his dad. Is a picture that was taken um, just after that moment. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think that moment of salvation, that moment of rescue for the miner, was as big a deal for his son as it was for him? Absolutely. You know, that boy might have been safe and sound on the surface... But there was nothing that he wanted more in the world than to see his father rescued and to be able to enjoy life with a relationship with him. And I wonder if in some way, through this story about the coin, Jesus is wanting us to grasp the same thing. And he's saying, just so you get it, I'm even going to compare you to an inanimate object that's got no feelings. This isn't about you. This isn't about what you feel. You're a coin in this story. This is about the fact that God is gracious and he searches you out and he reaches out to you in all of the messiness of your life to rescue you so that you can know freedom because you are everything to him. 
God is gracious. And as you begin to understand how God's grace, how God's power in action is at work seeking you out. And that his heart is so for you that your freedom fills him with joy. Doesn't that give you an amazing view of God? That he draws near to us. And I think this understanding of God that means that in the messiness of our lives, we know we can lean into him. We know we can trust him because we know he's there, searching us out. And I find it amazing to think that this is is God's heart for me and is God's heart for you. Might be though that you're sat there thinking, that's all well and good, but I've tried doing that. I've leaned into God. I've come to him with my struggles and, and the things going on in life. And I've pleaded with him to do something about it. To heal me or to set me free or whatever it is. To sort things out in my marriage or with my kids. But nothing seems to change. How is God gracious in the midst of that? And here's how I think we'd probably all like God's grace to work in our lives, myself included. I'd like it if I could come to God and say something like, God, there's this thing that I'm, I'm facing in life. Will you please just come and fix it? Will you change things for me? Will you fill me up with your power or your, your patience or your love so that I can deal with it and I'm not scared anymore and I don't lose my temper anymore and it's just all sorted? Will you just sort it out? That's what I'd essentially like to happen. And do you know what? Sometimes in God's mercy and God's grace, that's what I've seen him do. And instantly or overnight, things have shifted and changed. Either in my heart or in the situation. But what I've discovered is that what usually happens is that God simply says, trust me and keep going. I want you to trust me and keep going. And when you really need me, my power, it will be there for you. I won't let you down. You don't need to be strong. You don't need to have the answers. You don't need a quick fix. You just need to trust me and keep going. You need me and I'll be with you. It's not always the answer that I want. And in that moment, I simply have to choose to trust that God knows best. Now, Paul is a great example of this in the Bible. Here's a man who was living in opposition to God, hunting down and murdering Christians. And God, in his grace, searches him out. And he meets him in the midst of all of the messiness of his life. And he draws Paul into relationship with him. Paul then gives his whole life to serving Jesus and to to sharing about Jesus with other people who don't know him. And he has incredible encounters with God. Where God speaks to him and reveals truth to him. His life has been turned around and then something bad happens to Paul. And we don't know exactly what it was. It may have been a physical illness or or something else, but whatever it was, it was something that wore Paul down. It was something that he wanted to be free from. And something that wasn't going away. And Paul's initial response is exactly the same as ours would be. He repeatedly pleads with God 
Take it away. Give me the quick fix. But God doesn't do it. And out of Paul's inner turmoil and his wrestling with God, Paul learned a valuable lesson. And so he gives us a key insight into how God is gracious when we find ourselves in a hard season of life and we don't understand why. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12 verses 7 to 10, He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And what I see in Paul's experience that gives me hope is that God has a purpose and God has a promise. You see, Paul is facing this thorn in the flesh, this thing in life that he longs to be free from that torments him. The word literally means it beats him up. And this torment is coming from Satan. This isn't a good thing. And yet in the midst of it, he sees the hand of God. He sees how God is at work and the purpose that God is about. How God is working through this to keep him from becoming conceited, to keep him from becoming proud. Satan wanted to pull Paul down and turn him away from God, but God works through the destructive plans of Satan to make Paul humble and to turn him away from pride. You know, when we face challenges in life, sometimes it's going to be Satan attacking us. Sometimes it's going to be as a result of our own bad choices and facing the consequences for them. Sometimes it will be because of the broken world that we were in and the mess that is around us. And sometimes it will just be about the relentless demands of life, all the little things that just build up. But you know what? God is gracious. And in the midst of it all, he is at work and he has a purpose. A purpose to keep us humble and reliant on him. A purpose to grow our character and to draw us close to him. A purpose to display something of his power and his goodness and his grace and his glory in the midst of our weakness and our struggles. God will never waste an opportunity to work for our good and for his glory. And then alongside the hope of knowing God has a purpose is the hope of knowing God gives us a promise. You know, Paul pleads with God to take this thorn away and God essentially says, no. No, I'm not going to provide a quick fix. But I will give you the grace. I will give you the power that you need to press on in spite of the fact that it's not going away. 
God says, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, and, and I love this because, do you know what? It gives me permission to be weak. It gives me permission to say, I don't have to be strong. I don't have to always get it right. I don't have to have it all sorted out. God is gracious. And part of the beauty of his grace is that it meets us most powerfully in the midst of our mess. In the midst of our pain. In the midst of our weakness and our struggles. And so God is saying to Paul, it's okay. You know, despite everything that you're going through and what you feel, I haven't forgotten about you. You're still in the center of my will. You've not done anything wrong. My plan's in place. My answer is no. But my grace, my power is sufficient for you. I'm all you need. You see, the grace of God invites us to a place of being okay, even though everything in life is not okay. And what Paul does next is an incredible example to us. He he now finds himself in a place where he's not only facing a painful situation that torments him, but he actually knows it's not going to change anytime soon. And what do you do when you're faced with that? Well, Paul's perspective is incredible and so clearly comes from a heart that trusts God and is in tune with the will of God. As Paul says, Therefore I will boast... All the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul is saying, since this is not going away, it's going to continue to be hard, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to respond. I'm going to boast in it. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? But I'm not going to try and and hide from it. I'm not going to make excuses from it. I'm not going to try and, and put a, a, a smile on my face and pretend it's not there. God is at work and he has a purpose in this and he has promised that his grace, his power is all I need and so I'm going to own my weaknesses. I'm going to embrace them so that Christ's power may rest on me and be displayed for everyone else to see. This is incredible. Paul stops trying to run from his weaknesses or to hide them from others. And instead he embraces his weaknesses and his struggles and his failings and he understands that that is the only path to experiencing the grace and the power of God at work in his life. And that's why Paul can say, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And so this morning, I want to give you permission to be weak. You don't need to put a brave face on and try and pretend you've got it all together. Because it's when you embrace your weaknesses that Christ's power, that the grace of God will rest on you. And we all face difficult times in in life at different points. Whether it be to do with family or work or finances or health, at some point we face hard times. 
And sometimes God can feel distant in the midst of them. And it can seem to drag on and on, and we can struggle to pray and struggle to see how God is gracious. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that the beauty of God's grace is that he loves you so much that he is reaching out to you and searching you out. And he rejoices every time you take a step towards him. He never turns his back on you. He draws close and he is searching you out. And it may be that this morning as I've been talking, you have felt God searching 